Enjoy it. Stay safe. Don't blow your fingers off. That's what my granddad always told me. So I, I keep passing that along. We're glad you're here this morning. If this is your first time, welcome to New City. My name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and really glad that you're here. It means the world to us that you're here, that you take some time out of your day to come and celebrate and spend some time with the Savior this morning with us. And so we're really excited because today we're we're going through we're continuing our summer series. Let us pray. Where we're just spending some time really asking this question and really diving into it. What is prayer? What is it all about? Why should we do it? And one of the things that we've learned is that prayer really ultimately is a gift. It's a gift given to us by God himself as a way for us to connect with him and to, to build this relational. We, we have a relational God that desires to talk with us, to be with us, to be a part of all of every aspect of our life. And of course, we, we know that prayer is a gift that is given to us by way of the cross. And we'll talk more about that today as we get into it. So I hope this series has been an encouragement to you. I hope it's been a challenge to you. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, it has been to me. If I look at my own life and I realize that I want to invest more in prayer, I, I should, I want to do it more than, than perhaps I do. And, and this series has helped, helped for me to really see that and see the value of it. So I hope today's message will do just that. Because today what we're going to look at is we are going to look at arguably the hardest prayer that you'll ever have to pray and why you should pray it every single day. We're going to look at the hardest prayer you'll ever pray and why you should pray it every day. So if you have a copy of the Scripture, I'd love for you to go ahead and make your way. We're going to be in Matthew's Gospel today, Matthew chapter 26. You can open up your phone or your hard copy. We also have the New City app. If you haven't downloaded that, we encourage you to do that. There's a lot of other stuff on that app. The sermon notes along with the scripture preloaded there. So, Matthew chapter 26 is where we're going to be today, but I actually want to begin in the year 1302. 1302, Florence, Italy. There is a young, talented author. He even dives into politics a little bit. 
he became a philosopher, and he became he was becoming very frustrated and concerned about the state of the government and even the state of the Catholic Church. So much so that he began to openly criticize it. Dangerous thing to do, especially in this time. But he, he was so moved at, at, at the, the misdoings of, of the government, he became really, uh, really hurt and concerned about a lot of the heretical things that the Catholic Church was doing at this time. And so he began to openly in the streets and in his writing began to criticize it. And it eventually led to him being exiled by the Pope, Pope Boniface, eventually exiled him out of his own town of Florence, to which he would never be able to return. Now, little did the Pope, or anybody else for that matter, know that this would be the fuel and the backdrop that would allow this guy to write one of the most famous works of literature the world has ever seen. It still is in top ten for most people in most literary reviews. It's considered one of the
as well. But it says this. He says, then Jesus went with them, that is his disciples, to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. Now, many of you might recall this famous scene of Jesus in the garden. This is in the final moments of his, his earthly life here before ultimately he will be arrested and he will be taken to trial and, of course, be crucified here. So you might remember the scene, but it's really important to know the context that leads up to the scene because if you read Matthew's Gospel, the, the, the context is this happens immediately after the Lord's Supper, right? Where Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. You might recall this. We, Matthew says that Jesus went with his 12 disciples. They went to go celebrate the Passover meal, or what we would now call it today, the Last Supper. You've seen the painting. You, you know this scene probably fairly well. And, and in this, at this dinner, as Jesus is spending his final moments with his disciples, he does a lot of things, right? They're, they're singing, they're talking. But you remember that he's talking a lot about his coming death. He's preparing the disciples, something he's been preparing them for years, but especially in this moment, he's talking with them about what is to come. He's saying that, hey, one of you guys is going to betray me. I'm going to be handed over to my accuser. All this is about to happen, but even in the midst of that, you might remember that he, he actually teaches them something. That even in those final moments, Jesus is still teaching them. Right? You, you remember at, at one point in the meal, as, as they had their food on the table, of course, one of the pieces of food was the bread. And he demonstrates that to us all the time. 
But notice here why he goes in and prays, right? So he said, I'm going to go over here and pray. He took these, the three with him. But look at it. It says why he's praying. It says he became anguished and distressed. Keep reading there, right? Verses 38 begins this way.
so much happening. He knows he's about to be arrested. He knows he's going to be led to the cross. He knows he's going to be betrayed by so many. And he knows the price of what happens to bear those sins of the world. And yet in this dark place of his humanity here, tell you something else that he does. He says the words that all of us would want to say. Look at the screen. He says, Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. In other words, Jesus says, Thank you. 
not my own opinion. You see, for Jesus, he understood the role of God. He knew what it meant. He knew that God had a mission, that he was there for a reason. He knew God's love for all mankind. He knew that despite all the suffering that he was currently facing, it was not even going to compare to the amount of glory that was going to be bestowed upon him later. And he knew that God's story would prevail, right? It's important for us to remember that this prayer that Jesus prayed, I think it is, it is the, in the garden, it is the landmark example of both honesty and trustfulness in prayer. And just in his mind, we see Jesus model for us not only the content of what our prayer may look like, but also the posture to which we can come into all aspects of prayer. He bears his soul when he breathes his faith and says, God, ultimately I trust you. Why? Because you know will fulfill it. Jesus came to end for a mission, right? That mission was simple, to redeem mankind back to God, to, to finally eliminate that barrier of sin that has kept us from experiencing our relationship with God today. And that was God's will then, it's his will today. And so we read this, this passage, we read about how, you know, Christ says, God, I ultimately, though, even though I want you to remove this, I actually really what I ultimately want is your will to be done. So it, it begs the question, then, that we have to ask, what exactly is the will of God? What is God's will? Well, it's it, I mean, Jesus himself actually tells us what God's will is earlier. In fact, in John chapter 6, verse 38, this is what Jesus had to say about God's will. He said, for I've come down from heaven to do the will of God. Who said that? Not to do my own will. He's already practiced it. He's already said it once before. And he says this, this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but I should raise them up in the last day. It is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him have eternal life. I will raise them up in the last day. You may say, okay, well, okay, that is, okay, what is God's will? Okay, it's that, that all would be redeemed and that they would have eternal life. What is eternal life? Jesus even answers that question. What is eternal life? In John chapter 17, this is what Jesus says. This is eternal life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, the, the mission was, was so simple. Even though it wasn't easy, God's will and mission has always been, from the beginning, this idea that he longs to have relationship with you and me. That, that nothing is more of value to him than everybody in this world would come to an understanding. And that each and every day, you and I would come to know and know Jesus loves us. He longs for people to see that. That, that if we start there, that if we, if we see that the will of God begins simply in relationship, we start to see that all the things that come after that are key. In fact, I love that Jesus even asks the question, why is God's will good? Why, why is it even important? Well, I love what the psalmist says in chapter 18. He says, God's way is perfect. All of the Lord's promises prove true. He is the shield for all those who look to him for guidance. Isn't it amazing to think about this? Here Jesus is. He, he's in anguish. He's crying out to the Father. He gets to the point where he even says, God, I, want, I don't want this. I want you to take this cup of suffering away from me. But then he utters those famous words, but not my will, but yours be done. Isn't it interesting to think that if Jesus does not utter those words, he probably doesn't want to pray. There is no completion. There is no eternal truth. There is no mutual certainty if Jesus doesn't say, 
to kind of wrap this up today. I think we have to ask ourselves this question. I have a difficult question. Do we trust God less than we ever did? Not by a long shot. Are we willing to abandon all control and desire for it for our present, our future, and even our past to be given up to the God Almighty who says, I can relate to you and I trust you. Maybe, maybe you're here today and it's, God, I, I really would love for this relationship to be restored. God, th- there's this new thing happening in my life and I don't know. I, here's what I want, but I don't know if this is the right thing, right? God, we're, we're struggling as a family. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's relational. Maybe things you just feel as life is crumbling around you, right? What would it look like just to have the faith of Christ to say, hey, God, you know what? I think I'm over here a lot. 